0: Hey, it's 8.34 here on YFM and it's my pleasure to welcome uh, back to the airwaves this morning Dr. Andrew Corbett for our, we're resuming our regular weekday Wednesday morning discussions. G'day mate, nice to see you.
1: We are, thank you Cameron, and great to be back and we're having a delightful summer here in the we well, north of in the Northern north Northern of Test of state. state. Yeah, anyway, that's right. My wife was involved, uh, Kim was involved with uh, some of the relief effort down at Denali, and of course our hearts go out to our fellow Tasmanians who lost, I'll say everything, that was the comment that was often heard, you know, I've lost everything, but we understand what they mean by that, that they've lost every material Mm. thing, and so our hearts go out. And it wasn't ironic, Cameron, or ironic, kind of bewildering that while in the south of Tasmania we were battling amazing Mm. And horrendous bushfires, yeah. while at the same time in the north of our country in North Queensland, they were battling worst floods. ever floods. I know, uh, it's just just, just uh, a, a land uh, of diversity, isn't mm, it? And, it is, it is. And of course, uh, uh, this is Australia, where we where we have to learn to cohabit with floods and bushfires. And I guess in the midst of all of that, there's there is also a resilience that's happening in in Australians now it was interesting to hear some of the the people from north queensland talk about how many of them went through floods just 2 years ago mm. and some of the heartache that they went through then and i guess their resilience uh they're they're a pretty amazing bunch up there in queensland yes. and uh, well we uh, you know again our hearts go out to them so this is what's been happening and while I've been off air for a month, I've been working on a couple of projects and one of them is my FW Borum documentary and um, w- was able to uh, make some great strides with that and um, looking now, uh, looking forward now to being back on air each week with you, Karen. Indeed.
0: Highlight of the week. Sure Highlight is. of the <laughs> week, yes. And,
1: and today we're going to, as, as I as i've been thinking about a couple of things one is the the natural dis- well we call them natural disasters of fire and flood and the the tremendous uh traits of human resilience mm. that come out in in these times not not only that cameron the fact that so many people wanted to get involved to help uh, look that mm. that is such a i, I don't know if that happens everywhere else in the world but it certainly happens here i think tasmanians when of course the the bushfires came before the floods in north queensland and Tasmanians are by all reports the, the most per capita most generous people of mm. any part of australia yeah and when my wife was down helping uh, with the the relief effort down at denali you know she said there were there were young primary school aged children who who had driven with their parents for hours and that they came with a handful of coins and they said this is my holiday pocket money that i've saved i want to give this to help mm. wow yeah it is wow yeah. and it just shows that in times of tremendous adversity there's mm. there's some wonderful traits that come out and
0: well, this time around with the Tasmanians, we had a lot of kids doing stuff, you know, from musicians to just little fundraisers and that sort of thing. Every, everybody yeah. at all ages
1: were were pitching in, weren't they? Yeah. So so that that has got me thinking mm. as, as I have been considering uh, what we should talk about today. The other thing that's got me thinking is um, a mutual friend of ours sent me a link to I think it was an Examiner online examiner article about a report by Professor Jonathan West on the state of Tasmania. Now, what he's meaning by that is the state of our education, the state of our social fabric, the state of our commercial infrastructure, the state of our uh, government, government's ability to deliver infrastructure and services to Tasmania. And the report is not good reading. Basically, the report paints Tasmania as having a, an, the, the highest, not just a high, the highest government welfare dependency of any state in Australia. Tasmanians, are, there are more Tasmanians on some form of government benefit than any uh, other state in Australia and i know that for some people that's uh, not a big deal but for those of us that recognize where that goes what the legacy of that is for future generations there is deep concern over that and of course the the problem is that when you've had multiple generations of people that are used to government giving them handouts government solving their problems and government providing their income for very little in return, it actually lulls a society it 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 creates a a society that becomes unproductive or less than realizing its potential production ability and I'm not just talking in commercial terms either i I actually think Cameron that meaningful work, gainful employment. Um, being able to produce something is a part of the very reason why we're on this planet. I actually believe yeah. it gives meaning to life. Mm. Everybody needs yeah. to have a sense of contribution, whether you're sweeping the streets or, or whether you're involved in corporate mergers and takeovers. Whatever it is, I'm not. I'm not just talking about the the you know those people who make major decisions. I'm talking about everybody needs to have a sense of. Mm of contribution you need to be able to wake up in the morning even if you don't enjoy your job you know drop to your knees and thank God that you've got a yeah, job you know? exactly Yeah. so I I think that we've got some huge huge challenges and one of the, the things was very interesting in Jonathan Professor Jonathan West's report former Harvard professor who now resides in Tasmania and I think by the way I think his report is incredibly insightful I I, I Found it very difficult to find fault with what he was saying. I know that there are people who have objected to him you know, saying that welfare dependency is a is a an unhelpful thing. I, I understand that, and I particularly understand that this can become confused for people where we're we're dealing with people perhaps who are invalid, uh, disabled, the, the 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 frail, and so on, who do receive a, a of government benefit. And we're certainly it's 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 we're certainly not saying they shouldn't, and that and when I say we, I don't think Professor Jonathan West is saying they shouldn't. But there is a there is a sense where there there is a huge gap needed to be rectified, and this is what Professor West has identified that it's not so much it doesn't start economically; it actually starts with an attitude. It actually and he to amazingly, he actually says what is fundamentally needed here in Tasmania is a spiritual shift. Yeah. Now, I find that language really, really interesting. Mm. He's actually saying that, what is, that the thing that is needed to get Tasmania uh, set up for uh, realizing our potential is to address its core spiritual needs. Now, Cameron, when I hear that, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, you know, I'm a I'm a pastor of a church. I care deeply about our state. I care deeply about people. I care deeply about the future direction of our state. And I hear a comment like that, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. So, so these things got me thinking. And so, Cameron, the there I want to talk today about five things that you think. Are bad, which are actually good for you, <laughs> and they all start with the letter C. They I believe. all start with the letter C. I've
0: got uh, you've, you've written that on Facebook. That's yeah, look, at, if, if people wanted to follow
1: these, they can either go to Dr. Andrew C. on Twitter, yeah. and they'll, they'll see that the, these will come up basically as we start to talk about them. I've got the program to to come yeah. in, so just, uh, just interesting some of the answers here. We've got
0: yeah. coffee, chocolate, cha- uh, Cabana <laughs> cheese, champagne, caviar. You know what I'm going to add? What are you going to add? Starts with C. Cricket. Uh, cricket. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: Things that you think, but I thought you I thought that was good. Yeah, but other people think it's bad. Oh, okay. And I think it's good. Okay. Well, uh, I, uh, Kim and I were talking about this this morning because she said, well, what are they? You know, she was keen to know what what the five Cs were. And so she started to guess and she, and she said, because we have uh, chickens that... And and roosters and and at about five a.m. they get going and she says I think I think chickens are bad you know the, the roosters start growing and, yes. and but they, I suppose they give you eggs so I guess they're good so mate, wake mate you up at the wrong time put, so. yeah put chickens on the list and then you know then 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 there was a pounding on the door from uh, Ruby uh, you know keen to get the day started to get into school and she said oh there's another c word you know children, children. <laughs> so. <laughs> But they're kind of not what I'm thinking of. Let's, no. let's deal with no. one, then yep. let's go to music. But yep. here's the first one. And these are things that when you're in the midst of it, you really don't like it. You think it's bad, but it's actually, it can, and there's the proviso, it can potentially be good for you. The first one's confusion. Confusion, of course, is not a pleasant feeling. You don't understand what's happening. You don't, You. you, 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 you there's a sense of oh, I'm not in control. I, I can't get my head around this. I don't understand what's happening or why it's happening. A sense of confusion. But Cameron, if confusion is processed correctly, it can lead to clarity and understanding. In other words, when you've got a problem that confuses you, you can either throw your hands in the air like you just don't don't care, care. (laughs) or you can go, I really need to figure this out. I really need to get this sorted. I, I want to in some way understand this and get my head around it and the result of confusion in other words confusion becomes kind of the crank on those old engines where you had to Mm. crank them it kind of gets a process started that leads to some kind of deeper understanding and deeper appreciation of something uh how many things have been invented because somebody was confused you know how many how many books have been written because somebody was confused about something and they wanted to solve it or unpack mm. it or figure it out. How many great triumphs have happened because somebody was confused about what lay over the horizon? How many how many conquests have been achieved in a positive sense because there was an element of confusion uh, that somebody said, look, the only way I can resolve this is if I have a go. So confusion is not... It seems like a bad thing, but if... It can be processed correctly it can actually lead to understanding yeah. so we we're going to talk about an, another four c words that at the in the moment in the midst you, that you're in them they seem really bad but as you process it wisely and correctly they can become really good so let's deal with another couple after this song cameron
0: okay we're with dr andrew corbett as we uh, talk about those uh, bad things that uh, are in fact good let's start with C more shortly there we go. That's Steve Wiggins. There a song called "Everything uh, Works Together for the Good" uh, to everybody who knows God, and that's uh, very true, Andrew. As we talk about things that we seem a bad think about, but they're actually good for
1: us. Yes, indeed, Cameron. And that verse, Romans eight twenty eight, is one of my favorite verses. Probably one of my life verses. I, I go. That's my go to verse. Okay. Uh, the the second the second one in in this um, five part you know, thing on five things that you think are bad for you, but they're actually good for you, is criticism. Uh, I, I don't know anybody, Cameron, that likes criticism. Hmm. I, no. I actually think it takes a great deal of maturity to be able to get to that place where you recognise that criticism is a gift, and rather than treating criticism the way we most naturally treat it, which is to become defensive mm. we we become argumentative in a in a hostile sense whenever someone criticizes us or we become sullen and sulky and yes. and you know just don't engage with it and don't receive it and so on there's another way to deal with criticism criticism can you know someone criticizes you this this is what i found even though i become defensive even though in my pettiness i I object and I may even become sullen and sulky because someone criticized mm-hmm. me. I go away and I do that by the way, Cameron, because I'm human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I go away and, and I, I do mull over it. Yeah. And I and I you know, I think, well, yeah, actually, maybe you know, at some point I am I'm, I'm loath to admit yeah. it, but at some point maybe I I'll go, actually, they might have a point. Hmm. And as painful as that process is it, and I wish I, I could tell you that I get to that point a lot quicker than I do, but I think if you can if you can handle criticism in a way that you treat it as a gift, it can actually sharpen your own ability to analyze or do some own analysis of your own efforts and cause you to improve. So imagine, for example, I, I we we assign to our children a number of household tasks and responsibilities both in the house and out of the house and that includes our youngest child and we've always done this even when they were you know two or three years of age we've all we've tried to teach them responsibility but a part of responsibility is accountability and for example when your child washes up plates or dishes or whatever it is and to be able to say hey look you left a chunk of spaghetti on this right that's a criticism yeah but that criticism is actually something that if they can you know go oh yeah so I did rather than oh, I did not you put that there you know rather than become defensive or whatever but mm. it can actually cause you to be a better dishwasher now take that same principle into your art into your trade into your craft into your profession and you can soon see that the people that excel and become world leaders such as you know one of the great things about January in Australia is the Australian Open I love the Australian Open. I think it's the best tennis tournament in the world, and I've 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 only been to um, two of the Grand Slams, but I I think the the Australian Open is fantastic. But I look at those players and I think, okay, here's the question: Do you think they've experienced one or two words of criticism? Uh, well, the answer is clearly yes. And who's who is criticising them the most? Well, generally, it's their coach. Generally it's yeah. their coach criticizing no no, don't do it this way, do it this way. Now in the match, you did this, you shouldn't have done this, you should have done this. And so criticism actually, if you take it as a gift, it can not be something that wears you down and you know humiliates you and deprives you of self esteem and all that other kind of perspective mm-hmm. that, that some mm-hmm. people have. And I'm I'm suggesting that's a really unhelpful way of looking at it. It it can actually sharpen what you do and help you to do it better. So, criticism. So, Cameron, how do you generally handle criticism? Well, it's it's a human thing to get
0: defensive immediately, which mm-hmm. I do. Uh, and then I, I try and take um, a couple of breaths and say, okay, well, how can I uh, deal with this? And I often sleep on it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you have to process it and say, okay, well... Um, Maybe there's some truth in this, and hmm. I think um, sometimes you feel or I feel that perhaps the criticism is unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, you just take it on board and you think, well, um, it, it can be their issue as well as yours. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, um, it's yeah, you, you have to listen. Okay, I, so be a, be he, a his, teacher. Here's here's yeah. another. Question similar to that one: mm-hmm. Have you actually been criticised, been hurt by that criticism, processed it, and realised mm, actually I think they're right, and then become a better person as a result? Yes, all the time. Okay. So, yes. Uh, well, I, I mean, not all the time. Yeah. But I
0: mean, I, it, it, it does happen.
1: It has happened. You got to understand the way my legal mind yeah. works. <laughs> I, I know. Where where I hear know. all the time. So, okay, here's one more before the news, and th- this also seems like a bad thing it seems like a negative thing so five things that you think are bad which are actually good for you and the third one is conflict Uh, cameron i i hate conflict i'm not a confrontational person people think i am but i'm not And people see me confronting or maybe they're on the other end of my confrontation and they think, oh, man, this, you know, whatever. But I tell you, it's it's something I've had to learn and it's not easy. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. But this is what I've discovered about conflict, especially when I'm a passive participant in it. In other words, I'm, I'm, you know, in the crosshairs of someone else's venting or anger or whatever, is that if you can process it wisely – it can actually lead to an increase of strength in the relationship or the organisation. I couldn't fit the word organisation in on the tweet, so I ran out of characters. <laughs> but it, so I put etc. Yeah. So if if you handle conflict well, you can strengthen the relationships that you have. So let me give you an example of that, Cameron. When your um, well, the question goes like this. Who are you more likely to lash out at generally in your life? The, the answer is generally it's those people that are closest, closest to, to you. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's the great irony of having close mm-hmm. people because you think if they're the closest to you, they're the people you're going to care the most about and they're the people that you are probably going to, um, uh, you know, be kindest to and so on. But but the but the opposite is true as well because, and here's the reasoning, we, we lash out at those that we're closest to because we're most secure in our relationship with them. Mm. So when somebody lashes out at you, it's so easy to interpret that as spite or unkindness or mm. hate yeah. or rejection or whatever. But if you can actually see step back a bit and realize hey hang on this person is is speaking to me this way because they they actually ha- you know have a sense of security with me they actually have a sense of uh, that, that they feel relaxed enough to be to be seemingly unkind even nasty at times mm. and so just stepping back and going okay so there's something in our relationship that they consider to be a strength that enables them to share at this fairly negative level. So once you get that, you can then realise, okay, we can work with this. We can actually take this conflict and just, you know, put the T sign up and go, Oh, timeout, let's hang on a minute. What's really going on here? And they might go, look, I'm and they might share the real reason, the real thing behind their their outburst. And it probably isn't you. It's probably yeah, something yeah, else going that's on. That's right, yeah. Right. Now the fact that you get to that point and you invite them to share, hey, listen, I, I'll, you reckon I'm a, a, you know, an insensitive buffoon? Let, let's. I'm not going to disagree with you right now. Let's just put that to the side. Can I just before we go anywhere with it, what's is, is, what's going on? <laughs> what's mm-hmm. is is everything okay? Is and then, and then you might discover that someone in their life is going through turmoil or something and the fact that they can share that with you this is the thing that brings people closer Mm. together Mm. when you can share when you can share what's really going on in your heart and mind you draw closer to someone else every married couple needs to learn how to do this and and by the way most married couples don't And and it takes an it really takes mm. practice to be able to do this. And many married couples that get into a high conflict zone assume our marriage is now in trouble. When in fact, if you, if you get this whole thing about security, you recognise it's not. It's actually in a really good place. Let's come back after the news, Cameron, and continue this.
0: Awesome. This is Lawn Sistons, WayFM, and the uh, weekly Wednesday morning discussion, returning here with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Here's the news it's nine o'clock. Once again, great to have you along this morning here on Launceston's Way FM throughout northern Tasmania and uh, Dr. Andrew Corbett is with us as we continue to talk today about uh, bad things that we might think about were actually good with us and uh, we've gone through three now, I think. Have I got that correct? Yeah, that's, that's yes? right,
1: Cameron. So, the, yeah, the five things that we think are bad at the time. We don't enjoy them. We don't like them, but they're actually good for us and they're good for us if you learn how to process them perhaps differently perhaps and and i'm suggesting that there's a way of looking at these things let's kind of recap them so the the first one's confusion confusion you don't understand something it can actually cause you to learn to understand it so it can actually result in you becoming more understanding uh you acquire new skills you get your head around something so confusion can actually lead to something fairly positive Secondly, criticism. No one that I've never met anybody likes criticism. Well, maybe I met one person who was an older person who had become extremely successful, and they had learned to take criticism as a gift. And uh, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about this in his book Integrity, which a book I highly recommend. And if you can learn to take criticism as a gift, you can become a better person for it. It can actually sharpen your own analysis of your own efforts and cause you uh, to improve in those areas that you've, you've given your life to. And then thirdly, uh, to conflict. No one that I'm aware of enjoys conflict. So to be able to recognize that those times of conflict, those moments of conflict, can actually strengthen a relationship. They can actually strengthen a workplace. They can strengthen an organisation. When you've got someone saying, look, I'm sick of the way you do this, and to be able to get clarity on that and then to figure out, okay, I I don't want to be provocative to anybody. I don't want to upset anybody. And you you resolve that. You actually strengthen that relationship. You can strengthen the organisation and you, you can make the workplace... Uh, a safer place and i think we need to clarify there that when we talk about making it a safer place we're not necessarily talking about making it a happier place cuz i I'm, I'm just not sure who on, who who would consider conflict to be a a happy event it's mm. it's certainly not a happy mm. event so these are these are three things so far that we've looked at the, the next one kind of touches on where i began this discussion where we've had bushfires in the south floods in the north and these are moments of crisis now of course you don't have to have a bushfire or a flood to have a crisis Cameron it can be a crisis by nature is something that intersects into your life it blindsides you it comes when you didn't invite it it didn't have an appointment it wasn't in your diary and here it is you've now you're now faced with a crisis now of course, a crisis can come in the form of a motor vehicle accident um you know my my heart goes out to the many parents that have had the policemen come in the middle of the morning early hours of the morning, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, knock at their door uh, yes, and you know tell them that their son or daughter has just died in a motor vehicle accident and i i i in one sense i can't think of anything more shocking for a parent but that's probably because of my lack of imagination i'm sure it would be but that'd be a pretty horrible one and so crisis can come and and of course we can be diagnosed we you know one day we're feeling fine the next day we feel a bit tired we go to the doctor and he introduces a C word into our life. Uh, and suddenly we're facing a crisis, a crisis of, I thought my life was going in this direction. I thought I had this long to go. And now we've got a crisis where we discover that both of those assumptions are false. So a crisis, when you when you understand that a, a crisis can cause you to reassess where you're at. It can cause you to uh, a, a really take stock of what you regard as important. Mm. I watched a, a documentary on ABC2 last night and it was a, a documentary of that guy who went mountain biking through the one of the American deserts and, and fell down a canyon. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Cameron. In two thousand and three, he fell down a canyon and his arm got wedged between a rock and the canyon wall. And he, and it was, yes, it, I do remember that. Oh, yes, oh good night. He was there for five Whew. days. That's right. And eventually realised, you know, anyone walking through the... couldn't even see him, couldn't even hear him because he was stuck down this canyon, yeah. wedged, but you know, his arm wedged between this rock and the canyon wall. And oh man, I mean, I'm getting shivers just talking about it now because it's it's just such a horrible story where he pulled out his swiss army pocket knife and realized the only way he was going to survive is if he cut off his arm cut off the the lower part of his arm and his swiss army pocket knife could not cut through his bone so he then began to take pieces of rock and smash the bone and uh, after he left his arm there uh, the lower part of his arm he he then had to crawl up the the canyon wall walk seven miles through the desert and find some means of transport to get back to civilization had the arm stitched up and and it was a documentary of how uh, he was put in another survival situation Cameron I I would personally I would put falling down a canyon getting my arm wedged between a boulder and the canyon wall as a crisis crisis yes that for me is going to do it that that, yes. that fits into the you know if you're wondering where to file that one file that under crisis the interesting yeah. thing is that at the at the, the end of it he said you know it, it it was one of the best things that ever happened to him and it's like you're kidding he said because when I began to go into delirium and at that point he was married but only recently married When he when he went into delirium he said he said he felt as if he left his body, and as he was leaving his body, he had a vision that he said was so real, mm. where a young boy came running up to him, threw his arms around his neck, and said, Daddy, let's go and play. Yeah, And it was then that he snapped out of the delirium and realised that if he died in that canyon, mm. he would never see the, the that vision fulfilled. The interesting thing is, that was 2003, here we are, and. Thirteen, and he now has a young boy. They mm. actually he, he and his wife went on to have a child, and it yeah. was that boy, and yeah. it was the it was a it was exactly as he saw in the vision, which is interesting. Put that just to one side for a moment. But he, in the midst of that crisis, he he came out of that and realised what he thought was important was not what he hadn't thought was important was actually utterly important. Mm. And so a crisis can actually help you to reassess your values. It can also compel you. Sort of, let's think of you know falling down a canyon, getting your arms stuck between a boulder and the canyon wall. <laughs> That's pretty drastic. Crises don't have to be that drastic. Crises could be at the end of today, the boss calls you into the office and says, sorry, business is downturned, economy's going bad. We're going to have to let you go. Now that you're going to go home, facing a personal crisis so what do you do how do you process these things because they don't seem good they seem bad so a crisis can compel us to become resourceful Mm. it can compel us to become creative it can compel us to become innovative there was a movie that came out i think it was in either the 1980s or the 1990s and it was called lorenzo's oil Yes, And it was the story, it's a true story, Cameron, of um, parents whose young child is diagnosed with an incurable, fatal disease. No matter which doctor they went to, they all said, there's nothing we can do. This is incurable and it's fatal. Your young boy is going to die soon. And the father was faced with this horrendous crisis of his young son, his only son, I think, dying. And so he gave up his job, if I recall the movie correctly, and he began to research, research, research to find some clues as to what was He he basically did a medical degree, an Mm. unaccredited medical degree. He then went and specialised in some kind of... um, um, fibrodermatology the dermatology and and he he then began to experiment and at the end of it he he came up with the cure and it's an amazing story it's a yeah, true story yeah. yeah and the movie is called lorenzo's oil because lorenzo the father or, or the the son i'm not sure which one developed this oil which cured his son now that would never have happened if there hadn't been a crisis Karen no, that's true they, yeah. they say that that something necessity is the mother of invention, and it's in those moments of crisis when you have no option that you begin to find options. yeah it's in those moments where your back is against the wall. And it looks hopeless that you will look for even the slightest glimmer of hope Mm. and seize it and realize that that glimmer of hope was actually just the the glimmer of light between a door that could be opened. And you begin to find tremendous hope. And so, Cameron, we've got one more. Let's come back after this next song and let's do the the final one. Five things which you think are bad, but Mm. they're actually good for you.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Isn't that inspiring stuff? That story on YFM. It's nine sixteen. Back more with more of that from Doctor Andrew Corbett soon. What a funny world we live in. It's the same, like, at Jet's Fitness World. Mm. Um, like, if I've had a shower, I cannot stand up and put the socks on. You know, i There used to be a little stool that they used to supply in the, in the bathrooms. Well, they've taken it. It's not, it's not, um, Adrian. It's the whole franchise. They've taken it away because it could be used as a weapon. <laughs> that... <laughs> that is the most ridiculous. I said, I and mean, look at all these dumbbells. And I was going
1: to say, it's like I'd rather have you throw a stool at me than a <laughs> 20, 20 kilo dumbbell. Uh,
0: well, I also reckon that people have been using the stools to um, climb up on them and, and, and turn the televisions around, which they're not supposed to do. Change the settings and everything. But honestly, honestly, how how likely is that going to be a problem? Can you see anybody oh. using a stool as a weapon?
1: No. Sorry.
0: When you were talking about that uh, the guy that um, you know got you know, stuck in the out his arm, you know, amputated his arm. Um I've seen for now. What an
1: amazing bad to good story that was. I mean he wouldn't yep. be doing what he's doing now if he hadn't had his accident. Yep. Yep. Now when you've done this, export yep. it as an MP. Yeah, yeah, we'll do Alright. Yep. And then
0: What a great song there. A Blessing in Disguise from Lost Dogs there. And, uh, yeah, Andrew, definitely. Uh, things that we're talking about are
1: blessings in disguise. Yeah, indeed, Cameron. Great couple of songs, actually. And let, let's let's tackle the, the last one. And I've left it to last because I think it's the most painful. Okay. And, again, I want to link in... We, we, we opened talking about bushfires and floods, and I then also connected that with Professor uh, Jonathan West's uh, report to the state government mm-hmm. on the state of the state, that he says our education systems are failing, our vocational training is failing, our economy is struggling, our tourism is is uh, way below its potential, our the, the, the culture of business in Tasmania has all but dried up our uh, entrepreneurial incentives for uh, young entrepreneurs just simply does not exist. Mm. It's a pretty scathing report actually. Mm. And and again, here I am saying there are some things that seem bad, but are actually good for you. And I wanna put Professor Jonathan West's report in the category of criticism and possibly even crisis, and say, okay, here's a guy who cares deeply about our state. He he moved from the United States to uh, Tasmania, back, he's residing in Hobart, former Harvard professor, I believe, of economics or commerce. So this guy knows what he's talking about, and he's making these very hard assessments of where we're at. Okay, so if if we're going to apply what I was saying about criticism in other words treated as a gift it's going to lead to it has to lead to the fifth c in the five things which we think are bad for us but are actually good for us and the fifth c is change ah yes cameron change you know imagine coming in to the workplace every day and where you work is is change you're now in a different part of the building and imagine that happening every day. Look, we go mad. We, you know, we can only process so much change. We want a sense of routine. Routine is, is the mother of self-discipline. Routine is, is what gives us a sense of stability, but it also leads to apathy. It leads to complacency. It leads to the lack of innovation. And if Professor West is correct that we have become both as individuals and as corporations. And this is the bizarre thing that we now have private industries, private businesses that are now dependent upon government subsidies, dependent upon government welfare. Um, This opens, of course, the topic of discussion about one of our biggest, former biggest corporations in Tasmania that arguably had put itself in the untenable position of forgetting about why it was in business and becoming dependent on government yeah. handouts and subsidies and and government incentives rather than focusing on its core business. And I think most Tasmanians know what I'm talking about. So it, it, Professor West is saying it's that kind of thing that leads to um, an unproductive society, a society that, that, that just doesn't have a great future. Why? Because if you're totally... Dependent upon federal government or state government for for you know your income, and you're not actually producing income through enterprise, that that, that can only continue so long. Mm. It, it's the, the reality is if there's money going out of the coffers of the the government coffers, and not a whole lot coming in, that is just not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. So here's the rub. The rub is, according to Professor West, Tasmania has to change fundamentally. It has to fundamentally change the way we view our attitude to work, our attitude to education, our attitude to tourism, our attitude to enterprise, our attitude to business, our attitude to our resources, our attitude to exporting, our attitude to to how we do things whether we just do them so that they're done or do them so that they are excellent and all of this is going to incur the most painful of the five C's and that is change because Cameron I'm reminded of, of the story of Cortez, who was sent from the, the, the Spanish palace on behalf of the, the king of Spain to conquest South America and the King of Spain had sent previous uh, envoys to conquer spa uh, conquer South America and return with the the wealth of South america There the, was known that there was massive amounts of gold there and so on and Cortez went with an armada of ships about five ships or so, and they arrived. They left the ships in the harbor they they rowed to shore. They, they traversed up the, the first mountain to make their way to, you know, what we now know was the Inca and Aztec populations. And one of the men called for the captain and said, Captain, and, and pointed out to the harbour where the, the ships were burning. They were up in flames. And Cortez said, I know. I lit them before we left. You might think he lit. The ships, the only means of returning to Spain, he lit them. Mm-hmm. He, and, and, and the men questioned him about this, and he said, If you knew that our ships were safely waiting for you in the harbour, the temptation to return to them would have been too great. You would have abandoned our mission and returned to those ships, just as every previous mission had done. Mm. And so he there's this expression burn your ships in the harbour. In other words, make a commitment, burn your ships in the harbour, and there's no turning back. And for Tasmania, Cameron, and individually, each of us individually need to think about our contribution. How are we going to adequately change so that we become a contributor? How so that we add value to our state not just keep living off the value of our state we actually add value and before we say it can't be done it just it just strikes me that we're just not being creative we're not being resourceful we're not being innovative enough if we are going to be excuse my strong language here pathetic enough to think that we can't do it because i look at tiny little countries like singapore tiny little countries like Japan that don't have a lot by way of natural resources but they have learned to become resourceful and innovative and creative and to think outside of the box and today Cameron surely in a digital information age where we're not confined by territory and transportation issues as much as we used to be surely there can become there can arise a generation of entrepreneurs who can think Creatively, who can think differently, and perhaps you know, parents and and others begin need to begin to think in terms of you know, do I just give my children? Am I creating a a little microcosm of a welfare culture for my children? Do I just give them pocket money? Or am I giving them responsibility and rewarding them with pocket money? You know, these little things make a huge difference in the psyche of Tasmania. But of course, Jonathan West is saying none of this is going to be possible without, here's this term, a spiritual transformation.
0: Mm.
1: He's actually saying there's something fundamentally at the core of the soul of Tasmania that needs to be transformed. And I know exactly what he's talking about. I know exactly what he's talking about. We as a people need to recognize that we we have a creator who has bestowed upon us marvelous gifts marvelous potential and that potential and those gifts cannot re- be realized unless we are in a right relationship with him and it's out of a right relationship with God that we begin to treat work not as a drudge but as a as an act of worship to our creator yeah. we begin to treat creativity as as an expression of worship to the God who not only created us, but redeemed us. And so that spiritual transformation has immediate and very practical economic implications. And I hope every Tasmanian gets that. So Karen, we'll be back next week and we're going to talk about something else that I think can transform the psyche and the soul of Tasmania. We're going to keep on this theme of five things and we're going to deal with five things that are very practical in the home of every Tasmanian. Before I go, Cameron, I want to thank our listeners for their kind support. We received probably some of our best support we've we've had for our January um, ever. And I want to thank those churches, organisations, and businesses that got behind us. I want to thank our many sponsors who who enable us to keep going. We are not a commercial operation. No. We do not have a commercial budget. Ooh. And we are so grateful to our supporters and sponsors. If you were considering making a donation to YFM to help us to continue to do what we're doing to make a positive difference in people's lives, to bring messages of hope through wise words and great music, now would be a great time to do it. You can go to our website, yfm.org.au, and you can see how to do that online. Or give us a call, 63340100 and we can take your donation over the phone. It's We're just so appreciative of the support that we're getting, and many people are realising we're making the kind of difference in people's lives that Tasmania needs right now. Yeah, thank you very much,
0: Dr Andrew Corbett. We'll have you back at the same time next week. You're on Way FM. It's 9.31.